This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramaytush Ohlone land. The divides we experience within us and between us are not only a threat to our physical and emotional health, they are also the weapons and the outcomes of structural oppression. Meditation teacher and author Kate Johnson believes that through wise relationships, it is possible to transform the barriers created by societal injustice. In this episode, licensed psychologist and CIIS faculty Elizabeth Markle has a conversation with Kate about her latest book, Radical Friendship, in which she illuminates seven strategies to help us embody our deepest values in our relationships and how to show up for each other's liberation. This episode was recorded during a live online event on September 15th, 2021. A transcript is available at ciispod.com. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Hi, Kate. Thank you for being here with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I had so much fun reading your book. It looks like this, in case anybody hasn't seen it yet. And I'm so excited to just talk and experience with you today. I wonder if you want to just take a little time to introduce yourself and your path and how you got interested in friendship. Okay, cool. Um, uh, first of all, it's delightful. It, it never gets old seeing someone hold up a copy of my book. <laughs> um, and uh, and the, the little dog-eared uh, corner was beautiful to see too. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, in, in terms of my path, I would say, um, you know, my interest in mindfulness, although I didn't know it was called that really began like early in my life as a dancer, um, that uh, there was something about experiencing the synchronization that can happen, you know, with mind and heart and body in music and in space with other people. And um, I feel like those were my first conscious spiritual experiences, my first spiritual practices that could, mm. you know, that I knew reliably could help me connect with myself and um, with other people in the world around me. Uh, and then uh, I was always really interested in um, formal spiritual practices too. And I was um, uh, drawn to probably every religion, but um, in particular, <laughs> the um, uh, Asian Buddhist traditions really spoke to me, especially the um, the uh, art and iconography of, of um, Tibetan Buddhism, I think, was mm -hmm. when I first kind of really, um, you know, felt drawn or called to that path. Um, I, through dance, made my way into yoga also. So I was, uh, you know, working with embodied practices as a way to uh, kind of gather and collect my mind and um, in a way that was increasingly less about what it looked like and more about what it felt like. Mm -hmm. um, and that shift felt really important in terms of you know, turning towards the development of you know my inner life. Um, and at some point through yoga, I became interested in meditation. Um, so while I'd been curious about Buddhist art, Buddhist philosophy, I was reading you know sacred texts. Uh, it wasn't until um, 
you know, I, I, I moved a lot, a lot, a lot, and then suddenly was ready to be still, uh, in, in, uh, meditation after, after, you know, some time in yoga practice. Um, and that turn had to do with, um, you know, being aware of the, uh, like presence of suffering in my life and Mm -hmm. the, um, real, I don't know, promise, I think, of the Buddhist teachings that, you know, and every life there is both suffering and liberation and that we can actually cultivate liberation through a a meditation practice, um, which I came to understand over time was, you know, that practicing it was the key that I couldn't just read about it, but I had to, you know, do it. Um, And, and so the way into friendship from that, I mean, you know, it wasn't, it was a winding road, but I think for me, the connection between, um, meditation and these, and the, the Buddhist teachings on spiritual friendship, um, emerged from an understanding, um, that much of the suffering or discomfort I experienced in the world was actually relational, um, that I discovered it in my, um, ability or inability to connect with, you know, the, the people that I was practicing with in my meditation centers, I, in my inability or inability to connect with the students I was teaching with, you know, my neighbors, uh, and that also a good portion of my suffering that experience was, um, systemic in nature that mm. many of the, um, heartaches that I come to the meditation cushion to heal from actually came out of, um, experiencing systemic oppression uh, um, or participating in ways that I didn't, I didn't understand or didn't, didn't mean to. Um, and so there's something about the Buddhist teaching on spiritual friendship that I, I, I learned could speak to all those levels of experience, you know, that individual cultivation of the mind and heart, the ability to cultivate um, kind of the space between individuals and intimate relationship. And also I think uh, to understand how we might um, engage more wakefully in um, communities and societies like, and engaging with the, the systems that um, we seem to participate in, even though no one really wants them. <laughs> so. Oh, thank you for walking us through that journey. You know, as I prepared for this conversation, I started sort of highlighting and underlining, and then I just started copying quotes from your book that I loved. And the very first sentence says, This book is a book about finding your freedom, finding your people, and the possibility that these are actually two parts of one in the same spiritual path. And the the way that you draw parallels between mindfulness and meditation and friendship just really is really moving to me. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that. How is meditation related to friendship? And as you so beautifully put it, making friends with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. That was something that a teacher uh, proposed to me early on in, you know, my practice that uh, um, meditation is an activity of making friends with yourself. And I think part of why I said in the book that it sounded, you know, kind of hokey to me at first, I think part of the reason why is uh, that I had a misunderstanding of what friendship actually can be and can do. Um, so uh I thought when someone said meditation is making friends with yourself, I thought it was like, you know, okay, like taking myself to get my nails done, you know, (laughs) hanging, hanging out with myself in this, you know, watching a movie with myself, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, In a, um, not that those activities are, are, are bad or wrong or even harmful. Right. But, um, 
I didn't, I didn't see how they could be transformative. Um, and I think the more that I learned about uh, what, what I think the Buddha meant by friendship, um, the more um, profound and liberatory that that proposition was, you know, but um, that the ability to, that the practice of um, spending time in intentional relationship with my own mind and heart and body um that there's actually that that's um that's a relationship that can can grow and deepen over time and that can really um enrich enrich my life Mm -hmm. and there's also something about like um knowing yeah taking the time to really get to know ourselves you know in a moment-to-moment way and to be in a relationship that is non-judgmental um that uh is is you know more profound than it even sounds (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. as you talk i'm reminded of esther perel I mm-hmm. mentioned her. Oh, totally. She, She's amazing. Isn't she great? So also she says some, such a fashionable person. I feel like every time I see her outfit, I'm like, work. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my favorite quotes of hers, she says something like, I, this is probably not exact. She says, love is a verb. It is not a state of permanent enthusiasm. Mm. And as you talk about friendship with oneself or others, not being about like, you know, one big night out for drinks or, you know, always being in a state of perpetual ease and lightness. Um, I, I really appreciate what mindfulness can do in terms of orienting us to connectivity and friendship and even love being something actually much deeper than that. Mm, I love that. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful um, statement. And um, yeah, I think there's something there. Uh, if the verb, if I had to pick a verb to describe, you know, that state of friendship as a, I think it, it relates to the meditation practice, I would think it would be something like to stay. Oh, yeah. I think later in your book, you say something like friendship is not an identity. It's a, it's an action. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, that part of the book, I was talking a little bit about the, I was contrasting the activity of, um, friendship or what I'm thinking about is radical friendship with the activity of allyship. Um, and in a, in particular, how we were working with it in uh, meditation centers as we were starting to become Mm -hmm. increasingly excited about and trying to participate in the um, like social and environmental justice movements that we see kind of blossoming and coming into fruition um, all around us. Um, So I think uh, over the last, I don't know how many years, you know, like 10 years, certainly, uh, I mean, there were always been pockets of, um, you know, contemplative practitioners who have been deeply socially engaged. Um, But I I don't know about you, it seems to me like there's been uh, a real, um, blossoming of like an understanding of um, like the 
what I feel is kind of imperative towards um, societal mm-hmm. engagement if we are working with uh, mindfulness and compassion and wisdom, you know, in our in our in our inner life, and and even a hope that um, that it's actually possible to engage uh, and to make make change happen as contemplative practitioners um, and as as um, spiritual practitioners who are who are engaging together. Um, and I think this is really exciting because I feel like there was a time that came before that where it was just, um, you know, the, the world can feel like so much and it can be overwhelming. And there was this kind of vibe of like, well, there's so much to do. I can't do everything. I'm just going to get, I'm just going to get this together. And that's my piece. And I'm, that's, that's, that's what I can handle. Right. Um, so in that shift, uh, I think there were a lot of folks um, asking the question, you know, how can I be an ally um, that they, you know, practitioners were seeing movements in which um, people who were, um, you know, had identities or characteristics they didn't share, you know, were leading the way um, in societal transformation and saying like, well, how can I be a part of this? Um, how can I be an ally? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that there was still, um, there's something about allyship that lends itself towards identification. Like mm-hmm. even the phrase, I am an ally, like, and um, there's a certain in, there, there's there's benefits to that identification like it, it feels like a hard stance and um it's something that we can take pride in it's something that can provide a certain amount of um like direction or orientation as we navigate you know an experience and how to show up for one another's liberation but the problem with the identity of an ally is that um when it's challenged that's where we see fragility come up a lot in in um in relationship right like so if i think of myself as an ally and someone brings to me a way in which i've um caused harm or you know participated in um uh you know their oppression in a way that i didn't mean to suddenly you know i lose it because (laughs) what i have is this this identity so i really liked um thinking of friendship as um, yeah, an action activity is, I guess, as Temporal also talks about, and that um, there's something uh, actionable in it, and there's something that um, somehow I think is more um, durable uh, than um, this identification with the label of allyship. There's so much in all of this, so many directions I want to go, but you know, it occurs to me that just like talking about meditation is one thing and practicing it is another, there may be a way we can sort of directly experience what we're talking about here. If there's something you might guide us in. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do that, would you be up for defining radical friendship? It's the title of oh, your yeah. book. I'm so curious about sort of how you hold that. Yeah. So the, the, the word that the Buddha, the, the phrase that the Buddha used in the text that I um, structured the, the book radical friendship around is Kalyana Mita. Mm-hmm. And it means spiritual friendship. Um, which is, you know, as I understand it, the, the activity of showing up for liberation, um, with mine and yours, right? So, um, and I called the book Radical Friendship in part because I think the application of spiritual friendship, um, in, in these times is a radical proposition, <laughs> you know, that, um, you know, in a, a world that so values, um, effort towards like material 
material reward and mm-hmm. transactional relationship. The idea that we would spend time um, enriching our own spiritual lives and enriching our lives together um, in relationships that are not transactional, but that are um, based on our common desire to be free, uh, that that seemed there seemed to be like very little more radical than that. Um, and that when we think about the, the, the meaning of the word radical you know, of or pertaining to the root, um, there is also this, um, I guess, hope or aspiration that that kind of relationship could start to uproot uh, the um, deeply rooted tendencies uh, that, that keep us from being free. So that's, that's how I, it's not a short definition, but that's how I define it. No, it's so great. You wrote, friendship is the medicine for the isolation we often feel within supremacist societies. I don't know. You said it pretty clearly. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I hope so. Yeah. Um, when I refer to isolation and supremacy, I was speaking, you know, specifically about the um, really kind of clear and um, beautiful framework that uh, Tema Okun and Kenneth mm-hmm. Jones described in their Dismantling Racism workbook. It's kind of a classic text in, you know, diversity education and equity education. And, um, and they talk about the characteristics of white supremacy culture, um, isolation being one of them. Yeah. And, um, and they're not the first. And I think about um, uh, Hannah Arendt in the, the Origins of Totalitarianism mm-hmm. uh, talks about the way the relationship between fascism and terror and isolation and loneliness. Yeah. Um, and so um, I think it's worth a shot. <laughs> you know, I guess I feel like the the to if if it's true um, and it seems to be true that. Um, living in an unjust world, meaning living in um, a, a world where we, it, that is, you know, um, deeply impacted by, you know, white supremacy and, uh, you know, heteropatriarchy and ableism and so many of the other kind of systems of oppression based on identity or characteristic that we were all impacted by. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's true that those systems impact our relationship with ourselves, which I know in my own experience, I'm, I'm sure many of us can relate. Um, if they impact our relationships with each other, um, which I've also experienced, you know, both with the sense of separation that I feel with people who I perceive to be different from me, and also the way that, you know, harm can happen um, mm-hmm. out, out of those um, perceptions and the kinds of associations that have been layered into them by you know, societal training. So if that's all true, then it would seem to me that um, spending time working on healing relationship could be part of the solution. And I don't think it's the whole thing. Like I think um, uh, you know, there's obviously more work to be done, um, but uh, I, I was just, um, I, have, I haven't received my copy yet, but I know um, Tarana Burke's book Unbound just came oh, out yeah. um, and uh, I was like scrolling through Instagram and saw some um, words from her that were something about, um, you know, the, the 
the thing that defines movement is that it moves. And um, in order to move, you know, um, move together, we have to have some kind of, so that's, that's her, her words. And mm-hmm. my sense is like, in order to move together, we have to have um, like strong enough bonds where we can withstand um, the changing experience and the um, different obstacles we might face as we, as we um, navigate our way to, to greater liberation for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I just, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, uh, a, not the, not the only solution, but a place worth investing our, our time and energy. Right. And not sort of a side effect or a, you said, a, not a detour or a roadside decoration on the journey to liberation, but really essential to the whole path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, there've been a lot of, I, I mean, we just had like <laughs> the Met Gala, there were a lot of, you know, um, uh, thoughts you know on the internet today about the um the like optics of uh like diversity and inclusion Mm. and perfect performativity of um uh kind of liberative ideology and politics um yeah and you know something to be said for representation i i think you know um performance is performance of you know social justice isn't the worst thing in the world however um yeah, that there's there's um, there's something deeper and more intimate available to us, mm-hmm. and um, I like I like reminding myself I like see, being in relationships where I'm reminded that that's actually possible that it's possible to do more than just like you know representation and diversity optics um, that it's possible to actually be in like deep transformative healing relationship and um, and maybe that that's um, Um, that being inside of those relationships um, yeah is its is its own kind of reward you know is its own kind of, I guess what I'm saying is um there's the like long goal freedom in terms of uh society where we are all free to be who we actually are and to express ourselves you know, with our words and our bodies and our movements and our actions um, in the way that feels like the best to us and where we are, um, you know, no one takes more than they need. And like, there's, there's like this, there's like the long goal in terms of what Mm -hmm. collective liberation looks like. And then I think there's these relationships that we can build with each other where it's possible to um, embody in these like smaller units, what it might feel like and be like to be free like all together and um I think that's really important for our own sustainability that we can feel Mm. we can feel what that might be like um that feeling can be our north star as we're navigating these kind of larger structural things you know to be able to tap into does it feel like that frequency there that that I know Mm. of as what it what it feels like to be free with another person um yeah and um Yeah. And those relationships can provide like a sense of rest and ease and respite from a world that, you know, doesn't always feel that way. Um, yeah. And it's hard. It's, it's, <laughs> it's hard to remember that that's possible one at, at, you know, maybe not for everybody, but for me, sometimes it's hard to remember that's possible. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, um, 
it is not always easy to make time um, and to put energy towards kind of building and cultivating those kinds of relationships in my life because they doesn't um they're not fast and they don't pay any money right. and they're just you know it's like right <laughs> right but um but I'm so grateful I'm so grateful for for the spaces I have like that in my life I feel like they they save my life mm. Mm. thank you for, for sharing that I wonder how you'd feel about guiding us in some short, just a few moments, whether it's an activity or a mindfulness that would help us sort of be present to all that we're speaking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yes, I can do that. Um, we can do, um, let's say just a, about a five minute practice. Um, and maybe for this, um, you know, let's focus on this quality of making friends with, with ourselves. Um, even though I don't think that's the whole of the, the practice, I think it's a good place to, to kind of land, um, and, and experience. So, um, for those of you who are listening and are able to, you know, not in your car, but, um, it, it's possible to just, uh, bring your body into a position where you feel, um, fairly comfortable being still for a few moments. You can close your eyes if you like, or keep just, softly focus them in a space in front of you and take a couple of deeper breaths if that's available to you, if it feels good to your body or do something else that helps you to feel settled and to start to shift um, your attention from outside and the world of ideas and um, inside to the world of feeling. And as you do this um, deeper breathing or settling in some way, just like to invite you to reflect on um, a quality that comes up for you that's important to you when you think of a friend and what a friend does. It could be something like generosity or patience or humor, warmth, tenderness, honesty. And then allow that quality to kind of hang in the background of your mind. And uh, for another moment or two, we'll bring into the foreground of our experience, some like sensory experience that feels neutral or kind of on the good side of neutral. So some people like to feel the sensation of breath coming and going, or it could be the feeling of your hands resting, your feet on the floor, something that feels that you can feel in your body um, that feels kind of easeful to pay attention to. And see if you can invite your awareness to rest there and consider this sensation um, to be like a friend that is helping you to connect with this, this moment. So 
might notice shifting sensations of pressure or temperature or fullness, relaxation, tingling, pulsing. And as you're knowing the felt sense of your body in this place, your changing experience. Allow that sensation to kind of gather and unify and magnetize your attention and help it rest in the here and now. And if you can bring in some appreciation for this capacity to feel. And now remembering the quality of friendship that you called up earlier in this meditation, See if there's a way you can bring that quality into your relationship with um, this uh, anchor body sensation that you're paying attention to now. And just letting it be an inquiry. What is it like to be with my breath in a way that is kind, generous, gentle? so that we're practicing not only what we're paying attention to, but how we're paying attention. And if there's any moment in which you connected with that a feeling that felt like friendship. Taking a moment to reflect on that and stabilize that. And if you didn't, taking a moment to connect with your wholehearted wish <laughs> to um, and, and your effort to experience that. It's worth feeling good about also. In a moment, I'll ring the bell to just close that little practice. Thank you. Thank so, you for the invitation. I always like to take a moment to pause. Yeah. And wonderful to sort of make real or to really get some direct contact with what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. It really occurred for me as an invitation to befriend what was happening in me. And one thing I can share is that, you know, as soon as I, intended to put my attention on something neutral to positive or intended to call up a a really warm, generous uh, feeling quality. I was also present to all the other kinds of feeling qualities that, that show up. It was sort of like the whole crowd showed up along with my desire to be friendly. That happens. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's like, Whoa, she's paying attention. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's also true. You know, um, we often talk about uh, in 
these heart practices, they work on several different levels. So one is this, you know, quality of cultivation, right? Where we're intending to draw up a certain quality of warmth or friendliness, or, you know, I invited you to choose, you know, what is the quality of friendship that is important to you and to, to start to bring that into your relationship with your own, own body. Um, that activity often also brings in a level of what we sometimes refer to as purification. <laughs> so, mm. um, which is kind of, you know, Buddhist um, euphemism for like a shit storm, <laughs> you know, it's just like, purification, you know, it's a detox yeah. really. And that the, the intention to bring forward what is lovely and what is kind and what is friendly often knocks loose or brings our awareness to everything that's not that quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the instruction as I often understood it is just to um, know that that's present and we can um, know that, you know, try to both center the, the quality that we're hoping to cultivate, but not to push away whatever else is there. Um, and that, um, it is also having its own evolution, you know, um, that, that, uh, um, there is a way of turning towards, you know, if in a meditation on friendliness, you know, self-judgment arises or the sense of like, I, I don't, I'm not, um, worthy of this experience, or sometimes it shows up as like, I hate this teacher. <laughs> what are we doing here now? You know, that, um, <laughs> you can, um, you know, you, you can turn towards those, um, experiences with a sense of compassion, you know, and, and, and move into a more of a compassion practice in that way, or it's possible to just like, let them arise and let them, let them pass. Um, and both are good. Yeah. So along with that invitation to turn towards our inner experiences with compassion in your writing, you really, you know, invite or compel us to turn towards each other with compassion, even when we are vexed, disturbed, unhappy, rubbed the wrong way, et cetera. And, you know, a question that was really kept coming up for me is, is about discernment and and when we choose to stay and to lean in and to turn towards and to include, and when there is, when discernment calls for some sort of boundary or some sort of firmness that says, this is okay. And that's not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. I feel like it's a, um, as I was writing, I, I for every statement that I made about, um, you know, friendship and how we might practice it. There was uh, running my mind, like, a, except mm-hmm. in this case, you know, <laughs> unless this, you know, right. and I could have, I could have made a list for every single one. I think, you know, one layer of discernment has to do with our own capacity. Um, and it's very related to, you know, what it is to be uh, a friend to ourselves. Um, maybe even, mm-hmm. maybe even first, you know, like what is my capacity to actually show up in this relationship now? And that that's made up of, lots of different components, right? Like it's, do I have time for this? Do I have energy for this? Mm. Um, you know, oppression is tiring, <laughs> you know, like living in an unjust world is really tiring. And sometimes mm. you just do not have the energy. Um, uh, and then do I have the, the passion for this? You know, like, which is why it really helps to be in, um, some kind of ongoing relationship, right? Because that, that can often, 
that can often help us find the energy and find the time and find the quality of attention that we need to say like, okay, I have the capacity here. Um, but I think that's one level of discernment. You know, am, am I, can I show up for this right now? Um, and just to be able to be honest about that, can I show up for it? How much of it can I show up for? Um, and then, yeah, I think there's the level of discernment that comes with, you know, what's happening for this other per- person, what's happening in the space between us. I love that you use the word vexed, you know, like all manner of vexation, you know. Um, so there's that, the interpersonal level of, um, you know, uh, sometimes I find that I think that I'm, I'm, you know, vexed or irritated. And then I realize like, oh, I'm actually not like this other person is, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, this person's irritated and I'm just here. Um, and that I don't actually have to get on that ride with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, uh, that can be a loving action too, to be like, I love you, my friend. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. go on this ride with you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, or is this like, a uh, repeated by boundary violation where we can no longer trust a person to actually, um, keep themselves and us safe in relationship. So, you know, the level of discernment kind of around what, what's the interpersonal dynamic here. And then a third layer that I, I think I, uh, um, point to in the book as well around, um, is this suffering or misalignment or, you know, irritation that I'm having with this person, you know, is there a systemic route that I should be paying attention to here? And, that's often the part that I feel is the least um, immediately apparent Mm. or visible for me. Um, And it seems that in, you know, oftentimes in communities, um, systemic or institutional or societal uh, dysfunction shows up, is experienced as like an interpersonal issue. Um, And uh, there's not, always an interpersonal solution to those kinds Mm of, um, those kinds of challenges or sources of vexation, you know, they actually have to come from the kind of larger, um, institutional kind of frame. Um, I mean, there's things that you can do interpersonally for sure, but it's, it, they're gonna, those rubs are going to continue to come up unless there's a structure that can actually hold, um, you know, real, uh, um, like free relationships. So, um, yeah, those, those are the, that's where discernment comes up for me. I love that you mentioned structures that can hold. And, um, I don't know if I shared about this when we spoke earlier, but I live in a community of eight adults. We're a cooperative home. It's an intentional community. And we, we live in a big house and we all have our own bedrooms, but we share food and meals and chores and space and, as you can imagine in a pandemic, we have to make a ton of agreements and um, conflict is abundant. Mm-hmm. And something you wrote, you said, when we fear conflict in our relationships, it's usually because we don't have a process in place to meet and manage this conflict. Yeah. And that really resonated for me that, that conflict is scary when it's unheld or unbounded, or there isn't sort of a structure to fall back in. And mm-hmm. I'm really interested in your thoughts about what healthy and effective structures are like who's doing that well to hold conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that your housing situation sounds really awesome and really brave. And I've had a 
I've had <laughs> like less intentional community experiences before. <laughs> and then after that, I lived alone. Yeah. Um, so, like, <laughs> it's I a just, common path. It is. <laughs> I was like, and studio apartment. Um, yeah. So uh, I just love that you're like sticking in it. And um, I'm sure that, that, you know, you have a lot of wisdom on this too. Um, I, um, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One um, comes out of the Buddhist world, which is um, the uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's order of interbeing. And I'm not an ordained in that um, tradition, although I really admire it. And I, I am, I learn a lot from people who are, but um, there's some practices that I, uh, picked up from like reading his, his writing about, um, just taking regular time to, um, address whatever kind of conflicts may have arisen, um, to have a designated time of the week where that is possible. Mm -hmm. Um, there's this really sweet letter kind of, um, template that he gives in one book. I can't remember exactly which one. Oh, I think it's, um, Hmm. I think it's called reconciliation. Hmm. Um, reconciliation, healing the child within, I think something like that. Um, but he offers, um, a, a, a letter template that's you're supposed to give to someone when they've angered you, which is, it's like, dear beloved, please help me. You know, I have anger against you. (laughs) You Like anger is arising in me. Can we discuss this on Friday at 4.30? You know, like I, you know, but it's this, I I think um, what strikes me as so sweet about it is one, it's like beloved, you know, but Mm -hmm. two, I need your help. Like, um, you know, this is coming up in the space between us. Like, can you love me enough, even in this moment of, you know, feeling obstruction in my heart towards you to help me, you know, work through this together? Um, So I think that sounds pretty good. Um, and I haven't lived in that community, but I've tried it in, um, in my, um, like romantic partnership. I've tried it with friends. Um, uh, yeah, I've adapted the template. So that feels authentic to me, but, um, I I think that's a, uh, I guess what I'm taking from that is this, um, you know, uh, including when we have a, a, a dedicated relationship with someone to like include them in our process mm-hmm. um, uh, when the relationship can hold that. Um, I learned, I mean, I feel like the Bay area is such a um, like so rich with resources around conflict, you know, um, yeah. managing conflict and accountability processes. I feel like I learned a lot from the Bay area transformative justice collective collective coalition, me and Mingus's work. Um, collective. There. Yeah. 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 Um, just around, um, the idea that the best time to manage conflict is actually before conflict arises <laughs> and, yeah. um, that to have, um, uh, people who we trust, who can support us, um, whether we are the person who, um, has been harmed, um, or whether the, we're the person who has caused harm that we're going to need support. Um, and that sometimes in conflict we've, we've done both, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, how can we like break out of the isolation of doing it on my own, of just doing it with you and actually include this as like a community experience, um, and, and be willing to participate, you know, to allow people to support us, even when we've, we've hurt somebody and didn't mean to, um, and to 
start to cultivate the kinds of relationships where we could um, continue to support, you know, there are people who we could support even if they've caused harm, right? Um, and that we could continue to, part of our role there might be to, to not lose sight of their inherent worthiness and their humanity, um, even as we come together to, you know, in some kind of agreed upon process to, to, to remediate that harm. Um, in my Buddhist meditation communities, we have um, like ethics committee uh, where people can come when they have like a grievance or um, uh, a, you know, they experienced a conflict in some way. Um, and they work okay for like the big ones, you know, uh -huh. like they work okay for like when there's like a like clear um, ethical violation. Um, they don't work as well for like bad vibes and, you know, light shade and like things like that, that also, you know, subtle power plays that also happen. Yeah. Um, so what I've noticed people doing um, just informally in those communities is just asking each other, you know, say like, hey, can we have a clearing? And like, that's become um, uh, kind of a shorthand for, you know, there's something, there's something mm -hmm. clouding the air between us. Like, can we air it out a little bit? Can we bring it out into the open? Um, so those are a couple of things that come to mind, but I feel like that's an area that I actually, in this book, I say, you know, we should do this and I offer some examples, but I feel like that's a whole area of, um, you know, expertise and practice that I'd love to develop more mm -hmm. and love to learn more about. And I certainly don't think I'm an expert there. Well, you and me both. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you mentioned something about addressing harm when harm has been done. And, and in your book, there's a whole chapter on sort of not looking down on each other. And, and I think the quote was, uh, no one enters violence for the first time by committing it. And I, I just wonder sort of in, in the era of callouts and cancels and, and, you know, really taking a stand for harm that has been done, how do we in a mindful and wise and discerning way, hold the dignity of the human behind it as well. Do you have words for us on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, first I wanna say that that, that, that um, passage, which is so lovely, isn't, isn't mine. It was, um, I think, Miriam Kaba quoting mm. Shira Hassan on Adrienne Brown's podcast. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it was it was it was potent enough through all that telephone yeah. that I was like, I really want to include this in the book. Um, yeah, but this question of like how to hold. Um, can you say it again? Because you said it so beautifully. No, I want to get it right. Uh, let's see if I can recreate it. If it's something like. <laughs> while being a clear stand for addressing harm that is done, yeah. you also really advocate for not looking down yeah. on those who may have perpetuated harm. And I just I wonder if you could speak to some of the, the discernment around that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, in this chapter, I spoke specifically about um, the kinds of like sexual misconduct and abuse of power that we've seen in spiritual communities. Um, I mean, I think um, maybe in communities broadly, <laughs> you know, maybe in organizations broadly, you know, maybe this is a part of what, um, you know, how these um, like systems of oppression manifest in, mm. you know, um, kind of abusive power and um, uh, disrespect of bodies. Um, and yeah, um, I think the 
Buddhist world has been kind of rocked over the past, you know, there, it goes in cycles, but there was definitely a a cycle, um, over the past several years of revelations around, um, like sexual misconduct and harm that had happened, uh, in, in these communities. And, um, these are, I think most people would acknowledge by and large communities that are also, um, fairly conflict diverse, you know, um, and, mm-hmm. and in part because there are not strong, um, although I think there, there are getting, there are possibilities and there, there are communities that are working towards this and getting stronger, right. But strong ways of, um, addressing, uh, and supporting, um, conflict. And so there, there can be this, um, not doing anything about it until it's like so egregious, mm-hmm. um, because, because there's so much fear about, you know, what happens when we get the, into the unknown territory of trying to, trying to remediate these more, um, this kind of harm. Um, something that's kind of weird that happens sometimes when, um, a person, especially a leader, um, abuses their power and harms someone who is a student or um, a junior teacher um, is that the community can kind of um, can kind of um, almost act as if that leader can't can't be held accountable because what they've done is so terrible and to face it would be so harsh. Um, there's this kind of like, um, yeah. kind of padding or, um, uh, and some of that is done through, you know, oh, but this person has such good intentions or look at all the other amazing things that they've done or, um, you know, such a nice person, you know what I mean? Like right. they helped me this one time. Um, I think part of what it means not to look down on someone is to um, assert that they can take responsibility and be accountable for their actions. Um, and to know that doesn't mean that uh, this is um, you know, a person who is disposable, but it does mean that you know they might need to be removed from power. It does mean they might need to be removed from the community for a period of time. Um, uh, and that um, they they can, um, we can allow them to have dignity in that experience, but we can also trust that, um, they are capable of, um, meeting and responding to the circumstances that they put in motion Mm. and that respecting them and not looking down on them is, 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 is allowing them to show up and be called into accountability. I think. I love that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Thanks for walking through that. In some ways, protecting someone or um, sort of like overly enabling fragility is a way of looking down on someone of saying, we don't think they can handle it or that they, you know, it's too much for them to grapple with the consequences Mm -hmm. of their behavior. And that perpetuates all kinds of inequities within a community. Right, right. right. Or our community can't handle it. We need this leader, you know, and just say like, oh, actually, I think we're, we're, we're strong enough to face the truth together. You know, we're strong enough to, you know, um, and that we must, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, and if the, 
um, the community can't um, stay together or if the leader can't, you know, recover, you know, their, their position after, after we face the reality together, then, then it's okay actually to, to let those things go. You know, that's something it may, it may mean that it's time for this particularly particular form to dissolve, you know, to go the way of every phenomenon, you know, <laughs> conditioned phenomenon, mm-hmm. as Buddha said, that, you know, it has its own, right. have its own dying process and that something else then has space to be born. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe something that um, kind of from the beginning has some of these, these processes in place to, to respond uh, before, before it becomes such a, such an issue. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you just named the conflict aversion that can be so endemic to spiritual communities, especially spiritual gated communities. That's my favorite phrase of your whole book. It reminds me of sort of the, the ivory tower phenomenon in academia. This is sort of like the enlightenment tower or something else. Um, And you also spoke to the way that with our families and sometimes with our close friends, it used to be sort of common guidance to stay away from politics, right? Don't talk about sex or money or religion or politics with your family. And you really say, you know, I don't know if we can afford to do that anymore. And so I, I wonder what guidance you have as the holidays approach in a few months here and, and current events are no less contentious for how to be, how do we be radical friends with those that we are in deep community and connection with, but may have very, very different beliefs from. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so hard. Um, <laughs> and I, I feel like this is advanced practice, you know? Um, but I do mm-hmm. feel like, uh, depending on, um, here's the caveat, right. Depending on, uh, the nature of our relationship with our family members, you know, if we're a very young person who's dependent on our family, you know, there might be reasons why we don't want to, um, engage or for our own health and well-being, you know, um, uh, and if we have the kind of relationship that is fairly, you know, um, equal enough in power, uh, with family members. And, um, if again, we have the capacity, um, I think it, it can be, um, it could be really transformative for us to start having these kind of conversations and, uh, meaning like, um, you know, who did you vote for, <laughs> you know, and why, um, and, um, I say it's advanced practice because, um, it can be so painful to, um, like deeply love someone and mm. not understand their motives and feel misunderstood by them. Um, and, um, I don't think that it's the kind of conversation we can enter into over the holidays with the idea that by the end of the vacation, we're going to solve it <laughs> or like, right. you know, bring right. them over to, you know, the other side. Um, but uh, I do think that, you know, so much of like the political tension in our our country you know, I would say in the world now, um, is framed in terms of like a, like a binary kind of party politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a little bit of a smokescreen. I think often what we're actually talking about is, um, you know, fundamental human rights and what we're talking about, um, why stewardship of our natural resources. We're talking about things that are like kind of of the common good. <laughs> and so, 
Um, I think, um, that's one way to approach, you know, a conversation is to try to get underneath the, um, kind of like hatred of the, my side, your side, which feels more like a, you know, like rallying behind a sports team than it does like, you know, adhering to Mm -hmm. a a set of ethical guidelines that makes sense, you know, like it feels more like we're in it, you know, being in it to win it as opposed to like, what do we need to do, you know, on this planet to survive? And like, how do we, how do we believe that we need to be towards, you know, other human beings and, and what, what can, um, uh, yeah, you know, those, those kinds of like, um, I don't know, more grounded in, um, our, our values, uh, and of course it's going to be tricky because people are going to experience and express those values differently, but I feel like at least we could have a different kind of conversation, um, than like batting, you know, Mm -hmm. um, kind of bad facts back and forth. Um, I think that, It requires a lot of um, like both self-regulation and good boundaries sometimes to be in like heated conversations like that. And so um, to be able to also say, you know, I really love you. I'm glad we talked about this for a little while. I think I need a break for a minute. Like, you know, do you want to like get some more pie or like, you know, like <laughs> go outside and have a snowball fire. So, you know, like to, to, to titrate that experience with, um, other kinds of, um, relational experiences, um, again, like without the idea that we're going to solve this time around, um, and, uh, like to take good care of ourselves, like, the, you know, the holidays, if you have a meditation practice, aren't the time to like, let go of it. If you're going to be with your family, but I think to remember, you know, in, in, in the tradition that I'm most experienced in, the like Theravada Buddhist insight meditation tradition, we talk about enlightenment not as a sudden experience, but as a series of experiences that gradually weaken delusion, you know, and um, and gradually kind of shake ignorance away. So that I, the image that's sometimes given is of a um, a tree with a huge trunk where, you know, we have insights that are kind of little chops in this, in this big tree. It also reminds me of, there's this Bob Marley song that I love um, called small acts, you know, um, that's about that kind of same thing. Uh, And, and so, you know, to be content that the conversation we might have with our auntie or uncle or cousin, you know, might be, you know, a a small chop for them Mm -hmm. Um, not to be judgmental, but there are just, I think we have to just name that there are some views that are just um, like not grounded in reality um, that, that folks are, are holding because um, our media has misled them because they're easily misled because they're scared, you know, like, mm-hmm. so um, I, I don't think sometimes also I've seen uh, folks get into spaces where there's this, this desire to hold, you know, all views is equal and we have to respect all views. Like, I don't know, we don't have to respect views that are like damaging to humanity. <laughs> like It's not, um, that's, I don't think that's, uh, something that we need to do. Um, and so, uh, 
to be content with the possibility that if we are talking with someone who's um, holding views that are harming themselves and harming other people, that our conversation with them might be a small, you know, chop in that tree, um, and uh, and that we have time, hopefully, mm. um, to to be together and to to loosen that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we're not obligated to blow up our relationships in order to stand for the one truth, but that small, incremental, compassionate, curious conversations may add up over time. Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, like for safety, for health, there might be times where we need to step away out of relationship, you know, mm-hmm. but that um, that we may also be able to step back in, um, you know, hold, hold up the possibility for that too. Yeah. People change, you know, it is, <laughs> it is, um, you know, change is hard and also people do change. Um, and I've certainly seen that with some of my, my longer family mm-hmm. relationships. Mm-hmm. Kate, it's a joy talking with you. And I know we need to wrap up here. I'm wondering if there's anything that I haven't asked you about that you want to share, or even if you want to share the best way for folks to get their hands on your book. Oh yeah. Yeah. What's there for you? Um, I guess what's there for me in terms of like, I just, what's coming to me are just words of encouragement. Like, um, I once was in a meditation class with a teacher who said, um, he gave all these meditation instructions for how to work with our mind this really specific way. And then we were about to, he's about to hit the bell so we could start. And he finally, he said, you can't do this wrong. And then it was just, it was, it was so great. It was like being off the hook, you know, like, Mm. and, um, that's kind of what I want to say in respect to these, like, you know, radical friendship practices. There's so much, like there's so much to think about. There's so much awareness and intention. There's so much possibility for mistake and how we repair. Um, and, uh, and also we know how to do this as humans and there might be something to taking the attitude that you can't do this wrong and that whatever arises in your exploration of radical friendship practice can, um, that you can mine that experience for um, deeper intimacy with your mm-hmm. loved ones and for spiritual growth. Um, so that's that's my word of encouragement there for this practice. It feels like a lot. You can't do it wrong. Um, and in terms of finding me, uh, I have a website. It's just katejohnson.com. Um, there's you know some we're still in the launch, so there's some events coming up. You know throughout the next like several weeks i think and um okay. uh, that's a good way to get in touch with me too my my um newsletter you can sign up for there if you want to um just yeah keep in touch thank you for that thank you for your encouragement and your support for the infinite opportunities to begin again in meditation <laughs> and in friendship thank you for writing this book and thank you for being here with us today Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramaytush Ohlone lands. If you are interested in learning more about Native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about 
and acknowledge the indigenous land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lau Barrer at Desired Effect. The CIS Public Programs team includes Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all of those whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities.